Section 14 of Life of Sir Walter Raleigh by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8 The Attack on Cadiz, Part 2. Raleigh seems to have continued his efforts to bring about peaceful intercourse between Essex and Cecil. Essex had been much disgusted by discovering on his return from Cadiz that in his absence Cecil had been made secretary. This advancement of Cecil shows how Elizabeth's head was stronger than her heart. She knew that it would be thoroughly displeasing to the favorite whom she fondly loved, but she knew also that Cecil would prove a useful servant, and in this she was not disappointed. Sir Robert Cecil was not a great man, but he was wise and cautious. He had been educated as a statesman and, as a natural consequence, lacked originality. Diligent and conscientious, he had not a spark of genius and could not appreciate it in others. He seems to have wished to serve his queen and country honestly while keeping his eye on his own advantage. He was a stumbling block in the way of Essex, as his father had been in the way of Leicester. He had no real sympathy with Raleigh and could not enter into his views, but as long as it served his purpose he kept on friendly terms with him. He was too prudent ever to show hostility to any man, and too courteous ever to treat anyone with insolence, and so without any conscious hypocrisy he may have seemed to Raleigh and his wife a truer friend than he afterwards proved to be. Cecil warmly followed his father in his desire for peace, and his appointment as secretary had greatly increased the strength of the peace party. In his opposition to the peace party, Essex seems for a time to have forgotten other animosities and to have made no objections to Raleigh's return to favorite court. In a letter to Sir Robert Sidney, then governor of Lessing, written by a certain Roland White, who kept Sidney supplied with news from London, dated April 9, 1597, we read, Sir W. Raleigh is daily in court, and a hope is that he shall be admitted to the execution of his office as captain of the guard before his going to sea. His friends, you know, are of the greatest authority and power here, and Essex gives it no opposition, his mind being full and only carried away with the business he hath in his head of conquering and overcoming the enemy. Another letter of White's, written June 21st, says, Yesterday my lord of Essex rode to Chatham. In his absence, Sir Walter Raleigh was brought to the Queen by Cecil, who used him very graciously, and gave him full authority to execute his place as captain of the guard, which immediately he undertook, and swore many men into the place's void. In the evening he rode abroad with the Queen and had private conference with her, and now he comes boldly to the privy chamber as he was wont. Though this was done in the absence of the Earl, yet it is known that it was done with his liking and furtherance. So, after five years of disgrace, Raleigh was once more favored with the royal smile, and at this time his power and importance at court seemed to have been great. In 1597 Elizabeth yielded to the entreaties of Essex and gave permission for another attack upon Spain. It was said that Philip was fitting out a new armada wherewith to invade England. Raleigh wrote a paper on these reports called Opinion on the Spanish Alarum, in which he discussed the best means for defending the coast, but expressed his doubts as to the possibility of the King of Spain being in readiness for so great an undertaking. He was as eager as any one for an attack upon Spain. A fleet was fitted out in which Essex was appointed admiral and general-in-chief, 
whilst Lord Thomas Howard commanded one squadron and Raleigh another. A Dutch squadron also joined the fleet. A Spanish fleet was supposed to be preparing in Ferrol, a port on the north coast of Spain, for a descent upon Ireland, where the Spaniards hoped to find plenty of support from the disaffected Irish. The object of Essex and Raleigh was to attack Ferrol, to destroy the ships there, and also to intercept a rich fleet of Indiamen on its way to Spain. The departure of the English fleet was delayed for a long while by contrary winds. They set sail on the 10th of July, 1597, and fell in with a tremendous storm which lasted five days. The storm so increased, writes Raleigh, and the billows so raised and enraged as we could carry no sail. On Saturday night we made a comp to have yielded ourselves up to God. The fleet had to put back to Plymouth much disabled. One by one the ships came in, each in more miserable condition than the last. Essex would not return till he was in imminent peril of sinking in the sea. Raleigh, on reaching Plymouth, wrote to Cecil his fears, that my Lord General himself will wrestle with the seas to his peril, or constrained to come back, be found utterly heartbroken. Essex was in truth much cast down by these reverses, but the ships were repaired, though they had been so severely damaged that Raleigh wrote of them, we shall not be in any great courage for winter weather and long nights in these ships. Contrary winds prevailed for some time, but on the 18th August at last a fresh start was made. A few days after starting the fleet was again scattered by another storm. Raleigh and his squadron were missing, and the wind blew straight out of Ferrol, which made any further undertaking against that place hopeless. The next thing to be done was to attempt the capture of the fleet of Indiamen, and for this purpose Essex sailed to the Azores, hoping to meet Raleigh there. Raleigh, meanwhile, had been spending an anxious time, for his ship had been damaged in the storm. He wrote to Cecil, I have never dared to rest since my wrecks, and God doth judge, I never for these ten days came so much as into bed or cabin. Essex contrived to send to Raleigh by a pinnace, a message to follow him to the islands, and there at last they met again off the island of Flores. Sir Christopher Blunt, a bitter opponent of Raleigh's, and certain other officers had been doing their utmost to excite Essex's anger against Raleigh by making all kinds of insinuations as to his doings. Sir Arthur Gorgeous, who was with Raleigh, gives an account of their meeting and says that the Earl seemed the joyfulest man living for our arrival. He told Raleigh the many conjectures and surmises that had been vented of his absence, and withal named to him some of those men who had taxed him secretly with strange reports, yet pretended to love him. According to Gorgeous, Essex felt very high esteem for Raleigh. In his, Essex's, greatest actions of service, and in the times of his chiefest recreations, he would ever accept of his counsel and company before many others who thought themselves more in favor. From information brought to him by a pinnace just come from the Indies, Essex judged it unlikely that the fleet of Indiamen would pass that way. He therefore determined to take possession of some of the islands, and lay them waste as they were the chief places where the Spanish ships coming from the Indies rested and refreshed themselves. Essex and Raleigh were to attack the Isle of Fayaul, which had the best fort, whilst others of the islands were attacked by other commanders. Raleigh's men were still busy getting in water and refreshing themselves on land, 
when Essex sailed for Fayal, bidding Raleigh follow as soon as possible. Raleigh followed in all haste and reached Fayal before Essex. He found it to be a fine town, pleasantly situated on the shore with a strong citadel. The inhabitants, as soon as they saw the hostile ships, began to take measures for their safety, sending their women and children and as much property as possible up into the country. Raleigh's men were impatient for the attack, but Raleigh knew that Essex would think his dignity deeply wounded if they began before he arrived. They waited two days, their impatience hourly increasing. They were in want of fresh water, and it seemed weary work to wait there, cooped up in their little ships, when before them lay a fair town and a most delightful country, abundantly provided with all they needed. Besides this, the delay was diminishing their chance of booty, by giving the inhabitants time to carry off their property. At last, after two days, Raleigh called a council of war, and then it was agreed, after much debating, to wait one day more, and then, if Essex did not come, to make the attack. The next day was the fourth after their arrival in Fayaul, and still Essex did not come, so Raleigh proceeded with two hundred and sixty men to effect a landing. Some of the Netherlanders who had arrived wished to assist him, but Raleigh would not hear of it. As their boats drew near the shore, they were greeted with such a shower of shot from the citadel that the men grew dismayed. Even Raleigh's reproachful outcries could not urge them on till he ordered his boatmen to row his own barge full upon the rocks, bidding those follow him who dared. At last a landing was effected, and then they were joined by some of the Dutch soldiers, so that Raleigh had about six hundred men under his command. He determined to advance straight upon the town and fort, instead of trying to gain an easier entrance by a circuitous march, for the day was hot and his men were in urgent need of supplies. As he advanced, however, his men, to Raleigh's great distress, began to break their ranks under the enemy's fire. He determined to try and make others brave by doing that which they dared not do. Accompanied only by eight or ten men, he went forward to discover the best way to mount the hill. All the while the shot of the enemy flew thick about him. Sir Arthur Gorgias, who was with him, had his left leg shot through with a musket ball, and Raleigh himself was shot through his breeches and doublet sleeves in two or three places. When he had found out all he wanted, he gave orders for his men to follow him. He expected an engagement outside the town, but the enemy retired at his approach, and on entering the town he saw that the inhabitants had fled, taking with them all they could. The English found it a very pleasant town, with beautiful gardens full of fruit and plenty of fresh water. Here they reposed all night. The next morning, before break of day, the Earl of Essex was seen bearing down with full sail upon the town. As soon as possible, those amongst Raleigh's companions who were jealous of his fame hastened on board the general's ship and did their utmost to fill him with anger at Raleigh's presumption in attacking the town before his arrival. It was not difficult to rouse Essex's jealousy, and when Raleigh, who had put off from the town in his barge, landed on board the general's ship, he was received on all sides with estranged looks, and the earl, after giving him a faint welcome, began at once to upbraid him with his breach of orders. Raleigh defended his conduct and managed to pacify Essex a little. His enemies, however, did their utmost to fan the quarrel, saying that Raleigh ought to be tried by court-martial and lose his head for disobedience to the general's orders. 
The wise words of Lord Thomas Howard finally brought about a reconciliation, though Essex never seems to have got over his irritation against Raleigh for carrying off all the glory of this island voyage, as it was called. Before leaving Fayal, they fired the town, and after waiting about a little longer in hope of falling in with the Indian fleet, they proceeded homewards. On the way back, several prizes were captured, but the luck was not with Essex. The chief prizes fell into Raleigh's hands, and Essex came home in a jealous and disappointed frame of mind. The expedition had been a failure. The Spanish fleet at Ferrol had not been destroyed, and the India men had not been captured. The only success had been won by Raleigh, who was now taken back into full favor by the Queen. Essex, on the contrary, was greeted with reproaches for the failure of the expedition. The elevation of the Lord High Admiral Charles Lord Howard of Effingham to the dignity of Earl of Nottingham was a new and bitter grievance to Essex. As he was now also an Earl, Howard was able, as Lord High Admiral, to take precedence over Essex, and Essex could so little endure this that he kept away from court and council altogether. He did not try to disguise his anger, and so roused the Queen's indignation. But she could not get on without him for long, and many attempts were made to pacify him. At last, Essex was made Earl Marshal of England, which gave him back his old precedence over Nottingham, who retired from court in disgust. Before Essex returned to England, the Spanish fleet actually sailed from Ferrol with the object of making a descent upon the English coast, but the same storm which met Essex and Raleigh on their way back from the Azores scattered and in great part destroyed the Spanish fleet, which was obliged to put back to Ferrol. End of section 14